Chapter 14 of Among the Great Masters of the Drama. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Among the Great Masters of the Drama by Walter Rowlands. Keen just returned from seeing keen and richard by jove he is a soul life nature truth without exaggeration or diminution kemble's hamlet is perfect but hamlet is not nature richard is a man and keen is richard byron to moore eighteen fourteen the part of richard the third seems to have been associated with keen from his earliest days mrs charles kemble was wont to relate the following anecdote about him one morning before the rehearsal commenced i was crossing the stage when my attention was attracted to the sounds of loud applause issuing from the direction of the green room i inquired the cause and was told that it was only little keen reciting richard the third in the green room my informant said that he was very clever. I went into the green room and saw the little fellow facing an admiring group and reciting lustily. I listened, and in my opinion, he was very clever. Speaking of a time not much later, Hawkins, one of his biographers, says, Of all the Shakespearean characters which Edmund studied at this time, no one appears to have engaged so large a share of his attention as Richard the Third, Upon the very spirit and essence of this character, his already strong conceptive power, fastened from the very first with swift, sure, and unerring instinct. And, if we receive the testimony of Miss Tidswell, there is no doubt that even at thirteen years of age he had arrived at a fine comprehension and brilliant realization of the Crookback King. His rehearsals were almost unintermittent. At one time, he might have been found practicing the courtship scene in a garret in the house of a bookseller named Roach, situate in a court running from Bridges Street to Drury Lane, Lady Anne being represented by a Scotch lassie, who subsequently acquired some distinction as the successor to Mrs. Davenport in the line of characters, which belonged to the latter at a theatre in scotland mrs robertson at another we find him rehearsing the combat scene in mrs price's back parlour in green street to the richmond of master ray the son of the matron at st george's hospital the mantua maker's yard measures serving for the swords of the furious antagonist on the agitated field of bosworth when about fifteen years old keen while travelling with Richardson's company, was honoured by a command to recite before George III at Windsor, and his rendering of portions of Richard III in others of Shakespeare's plays was much approved by His Majesty. Ten years later, after experiencing an even greater number of ups and downs than generally fell to the lot of a strolling player in the early years of the nineteenth century, at times very near starvation, 
and at others playing Richard and Harlequin on the same night, for the princely salary of twenty-five shillings a week, Harlequin usually meeting with most acceptance, Keene found himself in the spring of 1813 in Guernsey. He was now twenty-five years of age. On his first appearance in the island he played Hamlet, which performance was harshly criticized by the local journal. The effect of the stricture upon the unruly and indiscriminating rabble, which usually graced the interior of the Guernsey Theatre, may be readily conceived. Too courageous to bow before the inevitable tempest, Keane made his appearance in Richard III. Shouts of derisive laughter, followed by a storm of sibilation, broke from all parts of the house as he came on the stage. For a time his patience was proof against an opposition which he hoped to subdue by the merits of his acting, but as no sign of abatement appeared, he boldly advanced to the front, and with an eye that seemed to emit bright and deadly flashes, applied to them with tremendous emphasis the words of his part, Unmannered dogs, stand ye when I command. For a moment the audience were taken aback by this unexpected resistance. All became as noiseless as the gathering storm before the tempest and the clamor only revived when a stalwart fellow in his shirt-sleeves yelled out from the back of the pit a demand for an apology. Apology, cried the little man, and his form dilated with excitement. Take it from this remark. The only proof of intelligence you have yet given is in the proper application of the words I have just uttered. The uproar which succeeded this retort rendered the interference of the manager imperative. Keene was hurried off the stage, and the part given to an outsider, immeasurably less talented than his predecessor, but who stood high in favor with a discerning and enlightened audience in front. But, despite such happenings as this, the time was near at hand when the genius of Edmund Keene was to be recognized in full. In the following November, he was engaged by Arnold, the manager of Drury Lane, who had seen him play Octavian in the Mountaineers at Dorchester. Appearing first at Drury Lane on January 22, 1814, in Shylock, with the greatest success, Keane was now called upon to dissolve the association of Garrick's name with the interpretation of Richard III. And this object, according to honest John Bannister, who somewhat reluctantly admitted that in the brilliance of Keane's Richard he almost forgot his old master David, he was completely successful. In the masterly manner in which he represented the last of the Plantagenets, achieved a triumph second only to that which he subsequently won in Othello and Lear. Mrs. Richard Trench wrote in her correspondence, He gave probability to the drama by throwing the favorable light of Richard's higher qualities on the character, particularly in the scene with Lady Anne. Hawkins speaks of the scene with Lady Anne, the nauseousness of which had been much increased by Kemble and Cook. The former whined it in a way not at all attractive to the ear. The latter was harsh, coarse, and unkingly. Not so keen. 
an enchanting smile played upon his lips a courteous humility bowed his head his voice though hoarse with cold was yet modulated to a tone which no common female mind ever did or ever could resist gentle yet self-respected insinuating yet determined humble yet overawing he presented an exterior by which the mere human senses must from their very constitution be subjected and enthralled cook in this scene was anxious hurried and uncertain but keen's love-making was confident easy and unaffected earnest and expressive and managed with such exquisite skill that a close observer might have distinguished it from real tenderness however well calculated to have imposed on the credulity of lady anne hazlitt said it was an admirable exhibition of smooth and smiling villainy and george henry lewis who did not see keene until years later wrote who can ever forget the exquisite grace with which he leaned against the side scene while anne was railing at him and the chuckling mirth of his poor fool what pain she takes to damn herself it was thoroughly feline terrible yet beautiful Keen played Richard twenty-five times during his first season at Drury Lane, Shylock fifteen times. End of chapter 14